Good morning. Uh, it's Sunday. Uh, it's very bright and sunny out. And this is uh, the fourth time I've done a Facebook Live. Uh, so thanks for joining me. Um, I'll do what I usually do, chat for a little while, uh, maybe ask a few questions, and then um, I will sign off. Uh, so this morning I thought I would show off the publication that I am most proud of in my life. Uh, out of all the books, not very, like all the books, out of the books I've written, um, this little number uh, it has a special place in my heart. Um, I actually just got it reprinted. It's been out of print for years. I only had, I think it was like 1500 printed and I gave them away. Um, it was about six or seven years ago during the, um, the insurrection tour that I did with a few friends from Belfast. And, uh, and I got it reprinted. And just last week, I got another 2,000 delivered to my door. And it is, if anyone can guess, I should have got you to guess, it is my Rapture tract. Now, annoyingly, a lot of people don't get the joke. Um, I, this is a kind of a tract that's based on the work of a guy called Jack T. Chick. And he is the biggest comic book writer in the world, in the sense that he has got the most comic books out there in the world, because these are distributed all over the world in multiple languages. And they're little fundamentalist tracts that you'll find in bathrooms and at bus stops, and you'll find in telephone booths um, and, and, and just lying around on the street. And they tell a little story, usually a story about how you're all gonna burn in hell. So I worked with um, a friend and a graphic designer called Laram, and uh, he did the drawings and I did the text. And this is designed to look exactly like a Jack T. Chick tract. So everything looks identical. If you know the tract, some of you will. You'll know the back, you'll know the types of drawings. You know, God is always kind of faceless like that. Um, there's actually some little uh, Easter eggs that he has in his tracts and we didn't put any in annoyingly. Like there's often a little puppy dog that is somewhere in, in, the, in the tract. And um, if, you know, I used to collect these, I thought they were fascinating. And so, um, uh, I, I, you know, you begin to notice these little details. So we created this. Currently you can't have one, I'm sorry, unless you see me live. If you see me live, you I will, you know, you can either buy these or sometimes I give them out. Um, oh, oh, the other thing that I've got just last week is my, oh, can you see that? Not really. This is my Happy Reaper badge. Oh, I can't, does the sunlight makes it hard for you to see? Oh, there we go. This is my Happy Reaper badge, but I'll talk about that some other time. Today I'm gonna to talk about the rapture. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this to you, and then I'm just gonna talk a little bit about why I did it, and then I'm gonna look at some of your questions, uh, and and some of your highs. People are saying hello. Ah, it's a, uh, Wanji, if I'm saying that right. You've given these out before. Good on you. You'll like this. So it starts off. Just as it was written by those prophets of old, the last days of the earth overflowed with suffering and pain. There you go. In those dark days, a huge pale horse rode through the earth with death upon its back and hell in its wake. 
During this great tribulation, the earth was scorched with the fires of war. Rivers ran red with blood. The soil withheld its fruit and the seas descended like a plague. So all very dark at the moment, right? One by one, all the nations of the earth were brought to their knees. Far from all the suffering, high up in the heavenly realm, God watched the events unfold with a heavy heart. An ominous silence had descended upon heaven as the angels witnessed the earth being plunged into darkness and despair. But this could only continue for so long. At the designated time, God stood upright, breathed deeply and addressed the angels. And there is God standing up from the heavenly throne. Very Jack T. Chick type of uh, design, that one. The time has now come for me to separate the sheep from the goats, the healthy wheat from the inedible chaff. Having spoken these words, God slowly turned to face the world and called forth to the church with a booming voice. Rise up and ascend to heaven, all of you who have sought to escape the horrors of this world by sheltering beneath my wing. And then there's little images of the characters saying, can it really be? And uh, Lord, come quickly. Come to me, says God, all who have turned from this suffering world by calling out, Lord, Lord. In an instant, millions were caught up in the clouds and ascended into the heavenly realm, leaving the suffering world far behind them. And then there's the, the people in heaven saying, uh, praise God, we escaped, it's over. I'm glad to be here. He sure took his time about it. And then the infamous Jack T. Chick, ha, 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 which is um, the kind of laugh that is always in, in the real comic books. Once this great rapture had taken place, God paused for a moment, then addressed the angels saying, it is done. I have separated the people born of my spirit from those who have turned from me. It is time now for us to leave this place and take up residence in the earth, for it is there that we shall find our people. So, there we go. Someone's gasping in heaven because God and the angels are leaving. The ones who would forsake heaven in order to embrace the earth, the few who would turn away from eternity itself to serve at the feet of a fragile, broken life that passes from existence in but an instant. And so it was that God and the heavenly host left that place to dwell among those who had rooted themselves upon the earth, quietly supporting the ones who had forsaken God for the world, and thus who bore the very mark of God the few who had discovered heaven in the very act of forsaking it. And then at the, the end of all the Jack T. Chick 
tracts, there's a, a little kind of how to get to heaven thing and what you should do. Um, and this kind of mimics it, but has slightly different uh, message. I won't read it all out. But that is my little rapture tract. <laughs> um, so what does it mean? Well, it's kind of my attempt to reflect on what you could say is potentially the radical move and meaning of the crucifixion. Uh, if you've uh, read Kester Bruin, um, his book uh, on pirates and Christianity called uh, Mutiny, you'll know that uh, he has this reading of the prodigal son, uh, which I find very interesting. Uh, he reads the prodigal son not as a, a victory, not as something good. You know, we all, th we all think that whenever Jesus told this story, it, it was positive. He was saying that this is, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what, you know, this is who God is. This is about forgiveness and love and grace. And there are some beautiful interpretations that, that you know, look at that. Uh, Henri Nguyen has a whole book that's beautifully written on that very idea. But Kester takes a, a very dark alternative interpretation uh, where he says, what if Jesus is telling this story, just imagine, you know, telling this story with a heaviness of heart, basically not saying this is what it should be like, but rather this is the very temptation to resist, that the prodigal did the wrong thing. Uh, and the idea is, you know, you imagine the house, this is a family of three, you know, two sons and a father, and they are loaded. They've got so much wealth. And this young guy does, you know, doesn't know what it feels like to have suffering, doesn't know what it feels like to be hungry, doesn't know what the world looks like. This young kid has been cloistered all his life. It's boring. It's melancholic. It's just everything he wants, he's given immediately. He is safe. He is well fed. He has everything that he wants. And so this young kid says to his father, I want to go out and explore the world. You're dead to me. You know, I want, I want my bit of the money. I want to go out and see what's out beyond the confines of this safe house and this safe territory. And of course, the father's probably upset. He gives him the money and the kid leaves. And, uh, and of course, they've still got lots of money left. We find that out at the end, but still, it's probably a lot of money. And the kid goes out and he experiences the world. Basically, he goes to university, has parties and gets drunk with the parents' money, you know? Goes out, experiences the world, but he also sees great suffering. There's, there's plague, there's famine, there's, there's destruction, there's death, things that he's never really encountered before. And it turns out, I think it's a plague, but eventually, or even it's a famine, and eventually he loses his money, there's no food to eat, he takes this terrible job feeding animals and he lives off the scraps. And he says to himself, I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back to my father, but not as a son. I'm going to go back as a labourer and I'm going to make an honest day's pay by doing an honest day's work. And so he gets up and the story says he starts to return. Now, interestingly, the father has not been looking for the son. This makes it quite different from the other parables where, you know, the shepherd leaves behind 99 sheep so as they can uh, uh, find one. Or is it about a woman who has a whole purse of money but goes in search of the one coin that she's lost? Here, the father doesn't leave the confines of, of the safe territory. Uh, but he hears from a messenger that his son is approaching. And so he decides to go out and meet him. And he's wondering, oh my goodness, what's my son learned from that liberal university? You know, what's he gonna, what kind of crazy ideas is he going to come back with? 
And so what does he do? Well, his son is about to speak and his father silences him. And doesn't silence him with some sort of anger or aggression, but says, no, don't, don't, don't say anything. Wait, wait for a moment. You must be freezing. Put on this cloak. Oh, you know, that must feel warm. That must feel good. And hey, put on the signet ring, this ring of power, this ring that, that symbolizes that you are my son. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? Come, eat with us. We have this fattened calf ready for you. And the son buckles, doesn't say a speech, just goes back into the house. And so the older son sees him and is resentful. He's like, you know, I'm the oldest. I had responsibilities. I couldn't run away, but you were young. You had all the chances you could. And yet look at you. You're right back here. Nothing's changed. And so from Kester Bruin's point of view, he's saying, well, this is a bit of a tragedy. A tragedy being that nothing really changes in the story. Just that everything at the end is the same as the beginning. Nobody's really learnt very much. Um, but it's also, he, he connects it with, uh, you know, Star Wars. It's exactly the same story when, when Luke Skywalker finally finds out that Darth Vader is his father. And Darth Vader says to him, son, come join me, join the Empire, and we can rule over the universe together. It must be awful being with the rebels. You know, it's, 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 it's dangerous, it's cold, it's, it's, it's poverty-stricken, it's dangerous. Come and join us and we can rule together. And so this is the prodigal moment. Will Luke go back with the father? But he doesn't. He refuses. And he ultimately is the salvation of his father, Darth Vader. Well, that's all very well, but why would Kester read the story in this way? Well, when you think about it, Imagine Jesus is thinking about this and, and contrasting it with a different story. A story of three uh, as well, a family of three who have not known any suffering or pain or hunger or strife. And the son leaves and goes into the world, is born among animals, experiences suffering firsthand and sees it all around him. And this son also uh, gets into great difficulties and gets to a point where he's dying, he's being killed. So everything's quite similar to, you know, the prodigal story, structurally speaking. So what's going to happen? Well, just like the prodigal, the father hasn't come out to look for him, but the father has messengers and those messengers will help the son come back to the, the safe space. If only he wants to, if only he calls out and says, bring me back. Father, Father, bring me home. So what's this son going to do? And yet this story ends in a slightly different way. Instead of saying, my Father, my Father, my God, my God, come and save me. This son says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Why are you not here? Why are you not in the grit and grime of the world? Why are you not here among the people? Why are you not here with me? And something different happens. The borderline between the outside world and the safe territory rips apart. The fence is broken. The curtain is ripped in two. And symbolically, what does that mean? The father leaves the safe space and enters into the world to be with the least to be with the poor and the oppressed. And that is where we will find God. So the crazy message 
of Christianity from this kind of like religionless perspective is the kind of the opposite of trying to get into heaven. This is captured wonderfully in a little story from Belfast. During the Troubles, uh, one of the tactics of the IRA was to plant incendiary devices in, you know, uh, leisure centres and shopping malls and then phone up and say you've got five minutes to get everybody out right so anyway a joke went round at the time I remember hearing it in school about this IRA guy who dies and goes up to heaven and he's at the pearly gates and he's waiting there and St Peter finally comes out with a massive book under his arm sets it down opens it up scans it for a few minutes and then looks up at this guy Seamus and says Seamus he says your name's not in the book you were in the IRA you're not getting in and Seamus says, oh mate, you misunderstand, he says. I'm not trying to get in. You got five minutes to get out, right? That for me captures the heart of the crucifixion, which captures what I was trying to do in this parable, which is not we're all trying to get into heaven, trying to get in with God. But what if the radical message and subversive message of a religionless Christianity is get everybody out, get the heavenly host out. God is not up there safe in you know this this place away from the world but god is in the grit and grime in the dirt um, of life and god is where there is suffering and where there is pain and as we give ourselves over to the least of those there we find there we find the absolute okay um i'll look very quickly to see if there's any questions you're asking um and then uh, i'll leave you to your sunday afternoons uh, why do I feel like these books keep going around the room? These books behind me? Oh yeah, these are my, this is my library uh, that was in storage for years. I finally, about a month ago, have got it and the books are like dotted around all over this room because um, I, I can't afford at the moment to get bookcases. Um, so if anybody has any uh, good tips on how to get lots of bookcases, uh, let me know. I have a friend who's a carpenter and I think he's gonna he's gonna try and help me out a little bit but uh, it is expensive. Um, let's see the vivid memories of reading this at the local barbershop back home. Yeah listen I, you know I made these and I love them so much but but strangely especially younger people just don't get it because they might not have seen these so you have to seemingly be over like definitely over 30, maybe even over 40 to really get it. Otherwise people are going, why did you create this weird little comic book? That, you know, what, what's, the, what's the deal? So I kind of want to carry around a whole, like almost like the week before I speak in a place, litter the place with hundreds of rap, you know, proper Jack T chick tracks so that people know what I'm doing. So I'll secretly be putting them into the bathrooms and into the bus stops and train stations and, and putting them under window wipers of people's cars all around the area that I'm going to speak. And so when people come in, they're like, ah, oh, that's brilliant. That's a genius idea. Because otherwise it just doesn't really work. Um, let's see. Uh, do, you have, do you have geology books? I don't think so. Can you see a geology book? Some of these books are my housemates. Well, no, those are all mine. So if you see a geology book, uh, uh, it is mine. Oh, Debbie has rapture insurance. Good on you. Very good. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Love Jack Chick. I know. You know, Jack Chick is a, he's a total recluse. I don't know if he's still alive. It's very hard to find out any information on him. I actually bought a book recently, and I think it's around here. If I can put my hands on it very quickly, I will. Oh yeah, I can. Oh my goodness. Um, I, I got this ages ago. 
um, which is just like a book full of information about um, the, the trats. But I, I tried to do some research on him, but he's a total recluse. You can, in fact, some people think he doesn't even exist. Uh, there's like one photo on the internet that you can get of him. Uh, he's kind of interesting guy. If I was a documentary filmmaker, I think that would be a good documentary to make about him. Uh, let's see. Oh, Rick says you missed the beginning. That's okay. These are recorded. They exist forever unless it's really bad, and and then I'll uh, I'll delete it. Um, okay. <laughs> I think you might want to invest in the Kindle. Um. Yeah, oh, I hear Kindles are kind of going. I had a Kindle, I do actually still have one, and I was using it, and it's brilliant when I'm traveling. It's like really good when I'm traveling. But um, just at the moment, I just can't beat real books. I'm sure they'll get to a point where some crazy technology will like convince me to leave books behind, but the Kindle just doesn't quite have it. Um, okay. Oh yes, this still doesn't seem to give a satisfactory theodicy. Yeah, I, I want to argue, but I won't be able to do this right now for you, but I want to argue that theodicy is um, the very thing we should be critiquing. That we shouldn't be trying to build theodicy. That actually the earliest critique of theology in written history is probably the book of Job. Um, and uh, there's a reason why uh, you know you have this, this critique of theodicy. Um, but then that, that gets me into all sorts of subjects that I shouldn't do now because I've been on for 20 minutes. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I don't want to bore you too much. Uh, what music do you listen to when you write? Uh, all changes, chops and changes. I've been listening to, um, what's my I like Daughter. I've been listening to Daughter recently. Really, they brought out a new album and um, it's pretty good. But their early stuff's even better. Uh, so Daughter's very good. Um... All right. Ha, can you speak, Nicholas? I think you've asked this before. Uh, uh, can you speak about your Lacan influence and a little and the little A in Lacan? Uh, yes, yeah, you're, I'm sure you've asked me this before because you are you are your basic prime reason for being here is to make sure that everybody logs off and it's only me and you left. Because as soon as I try and talk about Lacan, we probably there's a pile of Lacan books behind me, um, uh, it's going to become very dull for a lot of people. Well, maybe not, actually. I find it fascinating. But, uh, you know, Lacan is a, a very difficult thinker, but he is, uh, Nicholas, is it Nicolas? Nicolas um, is, uh, you know, knows that Lacan's one of my big influences at the moment. Um, there have been a number of influences in my theology and my philosophy. Some of the big uh, theological influences are people like uh, Meister Eckhart, Paul Tillich, um, and who else? Ooh, not not that many other people. <laughs> um, although um, you know, I have an interest in Aquinas and that kind of stuff, and Anselm. Um, but in philosophy, it's people like Derrida um, has been a big influence. John Caputo, Slavoj Žižek, and Jacques Lacan, um, as well as uh, Freud, um, Marx, Feuerbach, Nietzsche. You know, I'm much more. I, I did my I did my primary academic work in philosophy, so. Uh, Nick, I'll call you Nick. Um, so yeah, sometime maybe I'll do a podcast primarily on Lacan. Um, but yeah, but anybody who's interested in my work, um, you'll notice that uh, I mention his name occasionally. And uh, if you want to go deeper into my work, there's some excellent uh, books you can read, uh, kind of beginner's guide to Lacan that, that might help you understand my work even better. Um, 
Okay, well, I think that that's probably good enough for this. This is your little Sunday morning sermon, um, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'll tune in again. I'm thinking weekends are probably a good time to do this because people are off work. People are hanging out. Uh, I don't know how many I'll get if I do them during the week, um, but I might I might give that a, a, a go. Oh, there's a few more questions. This is fun. You can you can honestly click out anytime you want. You don't have to stay. I'm just having fun. Uh, is Deleuze not of interest given his philosophy an impossibility? I'm reading, um, rereading uh, Deleuze at the moment actually because so many people are, so many of my friends are Deleuzean. So I'm, I'm, I'm going through uh, Anti-Oedipus uh, and you know, the, but yeah, Deleuze isn't a huge influence. I did a little bit of him during my masters um, and I'm sure some of it sank into me, but um, I just am more Lacanian and um, they're kind of seemingly um, uh, interest in the, schizof the schizophrenic and the psychotic is uh, I, I'm kind of uh, don't think that that's a good way to go anyway but yeah but maybe maybe after I've read Anti-Oedipus I'll be um, I'll be very Deleuzean. Um Weekends are nice time to do this if, uh, have you spent much time with Simone Weil? Yeah we did Simone Weil in um, Atheism for Lent and so I read his uh, her uh, Waiting for God and She's fascinating. I've got a friend actually who's, um, you know, who's written a few books on her, and um, she's she's a difficult kind of thinker in how she writes, and um, I find her very like, you know, there's some stuff that she says where I feel like she's very kind of down on herself, and um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I, I mean, a psychoanalytic reading of A is, is kind of interesting, but you no, know, I find some of her work fascinating, and. Um, you know, we'll probably use some of that in future courses. Definitely next time I do Atheism for Lent, she'll be in there. Because the mystical tradition, um, you know, which she fits in, uh, you know, has, has, a, has a kind of very interesting stuff to say about atheism and theism and the blurring of those lines. We did Vey, um, Eckhart, I think we did Mother Teresa um, uh, when we were doing kind of the, kind of the mystics. All right. Um, please share a reading list with us. Okay, I'll do that next time. I'll, have, I'll think of some good books for you to read. But in the meantime, if, you, if you're if you around Grand Rapids, uh, I'm there in two weeks. I'm going to be doing a day of stuff. I'm going to be speaking at Mars Hill and I'm going to be doing an evening of parables and pints or pints and parables. Um, so hopefully I'll see some of you there. You can come, you know, do the whole two days or just come hear me speak um, and say hi. Uh, or join my uh, Omega course, which will be starting in a, um, about a month. And we'll be doing some stuff on religionless Christianity, going deeper into things. Um, or if you live in LA, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm planning some events here as well. So plenty coming up. Um, if you want to find out if I'm close to you, just go onto my website. And uh, you'll, you'll see where I'm, kinda, where I'm speaking over the next few months. But thanks for this, and um, I will uh, talk to you soon. I, I, I should have worn um, a Chewbacca mask to see if I could go viral, um, but I didn't have one. They're currently going for about $300 um, on, uh, on, on Amazon. Which, by the way, reminded me when I watched that video uh, of Freud, who said, you know, money might be able to buy you things that give you certain pleasure, like there's certain pleasure in having maybe a big yacht or you know having a ferrari or something like that but he says but you know the pleasure of just putting your foot out of a, a warm bed when it's cold out and then bringing your foot back into the bed can give you as much pleasure as owning a 20 million dollar yacht
he didn't obviously say a $20 million yacht, but that's kind of what he meant. It's like, um, we can get pleasure from the most simple things, even a Chewbacca mask. All right, take care. I'll talk to you soon.